0: Folks, welcome into a brand new episode of Trainwreck Fantasy Football. Wake here with Sneaky Joe DiBiase from WGR 550. He's doing the Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio. Uh, Tuesdays to Fridays uh, from 10 to noon. And obviously producing for Mike Chopin and the Bulldog. You know him from there. Sneaky Joe, thanks so much for being here, man. How's the fantasy season been treating you so far?
1: Yeah, Wake, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Uh,
0: pretty good so far.
1: I would say the teams that are supposed to be great are doing good so far, but, um, you know, I, well, I'm in nine leagues, so I guess there's a lot of variance. Yeah, I'm there's in eight. bad and there's some
0: good. <laughs> yeah, so you're always yeah, going to get no. bad and good when you're in that many. Exactly, yeah. In the first week, I went three and two, stayed alive in both my guillotine leagues. Nice. This week, three and two. Alive in one guillotine league, and now I have. I need Jamal Williams to get less than fifteen points. And as an adamant Jamal Williams hater, this entire off season, I <laughs> am sweating so hard right now. Have you ever? Has this ever happened to you? Just completely losing because of a player you were so against? Like, there's no no worse feeling in fantasy.
1: I think uh, there was a couple years ago where I was in a championship actually, and I lost oh, to. No. Uh, there was like a big Devontae Adams game late in the season, and this oh, was like just no. as he broke out. And remember, he had that yeah. slow start to his career, and I, like many, were probably were just not buying into it. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, he had a great year, but come on, look at the three years before that. And I was like all all against him that season. No. Maybe this is twenty seventeen. Jesus. And I ended up playing him in the finals, and like a like a Sunday night game, he went off for like thirty points, and I lost the finals because of him. So that one sticks in my mind for <sighs> sure. Oh my! God. I don't have. I feel like I don't have a lot of the reverse either. Like a, really? like, a like a my guy that just like came through mm-hmm. like in a big way. <laughs> like they've been good. Oh, yeah. Not in a moment like that.
0: It's so much easier to get burned by someone you hate than to have a sleeper come through and completely win it for you. (laughs) Yeah. But, 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 you know, enough enough of the bad vibes. This is a good vibes fantasy podcast. Joe and I are talking fantasy fallout. From week two, basically giving our thoughts on a few players who we think we've learned a lot through the first two weeks of this NFL season. So, Joe, I'm going to let you kick this one off since you're the guest here on Trainwreck Fantasy Football for the first time. What's one of your big takeaways from the first two weeks of the fantasy season?
1: Well, I mean, how can I not start with my boy, with my boy Rondell Moore here, right? Oh, my God. I was piping him up all draft season, and, mm-hmm. like, look at him. For fantasy, through two games, he has 13 targets. And really, yesterday, you even mentioned before we got recording here that you had him in a guillotine league yesterday. Um me Anyone, oh, there yeah. were a lot of people, mm-hmm. right, and you were maybe one of the few that were starting mm-hmm. him uh, yesterday, but he is a part of that offense. like, yeah. And I thought there was potential for that because, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is going to command a large target share. But after that, Christian mm-hmm. Kirk's a nice player. I like him, but he's kind of a one-trick pony, kind of a burner deep, although maybe he's a little more well-rounded than that this year. And AJ Green, I just I was never on board with AJ Green making an impact there. I know he scored a touchdown yesterday, but like one of the least efficient seasons we've ever seen for a guy with a hundred plus targets last year in <laughs> Cincinnati. And yeah. because I loved more so much out of the pre-draft process, I thought he was going to command a workload right away. Now, a big chunk of his production yesterday, seven catches on eight targets, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Was that kind of do I want to call it a broken play? Murray kind of scrambling out yeah, the back. But- Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Moore is just standing there all by himself and then he he's able to score. So a lot of his production came on that play, but he had a good day otherwise. He still had six catches for 50 yards outside of that. For PPR, that's a solid day for a slot receiver in the NFL. He's averaging 14 yards uh, after 14 yards yards after con or yards after catch at this point yeah. um, which is easily number one in the league. I think he's exactly the player I thought he was going to be coming in. And there's nothing wrong with taking a shot on a guy that's in the past heaviest offense in the league. That yeah. The
0: ball. And, you know, debatably, maybe, you know, right now after two weeks, the MVP favorite in Kyler Murray, potentially. Um, And, yep. you know, he's leading that team in targets right now. He's leading a team with DeAndre Hopkins on it in targets. And, you know, AJ Green sitting there with 12, Hopkins has 12. Ronald Mills got 13. So it's not like it's a giant difference, but – I mean, man, if you're getting that kind of volume in an offense where Kyler Murray's throwing you the football, and they can't like you, you know, what are you gonna do? You can't double team Rondale Moore when he's a second round pick, so maybe he hasn't earned that yet. Right. But you know, you have DeAndre Hopkins on the other side of the field. So man, he, he like I like we said before, he bailed me out in my guillotine league, and I'm still mm-hmm. sweating that one out. That's the Jamal Williams one. So so prayers up for me. He's um, probably
1: he I imagine he's gonna be one of the higher uh waiver wire ads. This week. Obviously, Dynasty oh, yeah. would be owned, deeper mm-hmm. leagues he would be owned, but like your your standard twelve team league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's probably gonna be a big waiver wire guy this week. Yeah, if it's
0: a if it's like budget, like how much of your budget do you think you would spend? I'd be comfortable Ooh. putting up like if it was like a let's say a Hundred dollar budget for the year, which is, I don't know who has it that low. I'd put up like forty for him right now, just based on the target share.
1: I that that that's around the number I was thinking. I think I had thirty three in my head. I'd use like a third of my budget uh, yeah. on Rondell more uh, if he's available, because I again I think he's going to be a part of that offense, even if sure. he's not the target leader, because he's not going to lead the team targets. No, not uh, by the end of the yeah. year. No yeah, but if he's this involved or close to this involved. Um, I have no problem spending a third to 40% of my budget. I think that's
0: around the range he'll, he'll be at. Mm-hmm. 100%. And if, if, he, if I do get axed in that guillotine league, I know someone will be putting <laughs> up a, a pretty penny in there. But let's not talk about that. Good vibes only. Um, this isn't – you know what? I'll start – I was going to start with uh, with a running back that I'm a little disappointed in. But I'm going to go good vibes – There was a quarterback that I was hyping up in this offseason that I thought could be, you know, a really good value at his ADP. He was going past like the 20th quarterback off the board. And I have him in one league where I have Tannehill and this guy, that team is called the Adam Gase. And right now, I think Sam Darnold is at very worst a streaming quarterback for fantasy. I mean, he has been he's been far from perfect in his first two games as a Panther, but he should genuinely be rostered in every single superflex league and every 12 man league right now after two weeks of playing with the best weapons he's ever had in his entire nfl career he's the qb 13 and that's even with that bad matchup against the saints yesterday where he looked okay After uh, you know he's got eight yards per completion, which is a full yard better than any other season, and he's Mm -hmm. throwing almost 300 yards per game. Now he has two turnovers along with four touchdowns, but he is going to get some rushing touchdowns too. He already has one on the season, so you're going to get a few more from him. I think he could probably end up with five or so by the end of the year. Um, And and he's been consistent. It's not like you know the Jets game was incredible and the Saints game was meh. He's averaging 19 fantasy points per week right now, and he's finishing with 18.9 and 19.06. So just .16 is separating those first two weeks. And his schedule coming up at least through week nine is incredible. Mm. He's got Houston, he's got Dallas, and then after that, Philly, Minnesota, the Giants, and Atlanta. And then he plays the Patriots in Week Nine, so maybe don't feel comfortable starting him there. I completely get that. He saw ghosts against them last year, <laughs> but, but like he—if yeah. you sh- planned on streaming the position—you he might be the best streaming option that's still out there on the market right now.
1: He uh they they were running some designed runs with him in week one. They didn't really do it yesterday, but yeah. I mean he did score a touchdown, a rushing touchdown on that in week one. So I wonder if that becomes a bit of more part of his game. Uh if mm-hmm. Carolina goes back to that, that would increase his fantasy production also. Would you drop Ryan Tannehill for him? This is a very specific oh, to me question man. because I drafted Tannehill, one quarterback league, pretty standard, yeah. probably like the ninth round. And man, through two weeks, I mean,
0: that's going pretty poorly. Darnold's looking Mm -hmm. good. Um, Yeah, he see, like Tannehill, I loved, in in most of my leagues, I loved getting Tannehill and Hurts in rounds like 10 and 11. That was like my big QB strategy this year. Um, But, you know, Tannehill, it's so hard because he's, he had his haters. Everybody was saying he should be regressing for the past two years now, it seems like. And even right. so, he was like what the third best fantasy quarterback over the last two or three years, only behind Mahomes and Allen. Like that's yeah. not that's hard to do. Um, but right now, you know that that Arizona defense it wasn't as good. Yeah, Taylor Luan got completely bulldozed by Chandler Jones too many times in that game, uh, and Buda Baker, which is just hilarious in its own right. But yes, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that maybe losing their offensive coordinator and having their tight ends coach being promoted is hurting them a little bit. Yep. Right now, I, th- I think I might drop him. I mean, I, I think well, I might drop Tannehill for Darnold.
1: I think yeah. I agree because it's not even necessarily Darnold versus Tannehill. Like, you go forward with Darnold, what's his upcoming matchup look like? He's got Houston exactly. next week. Houston mm-hmm. is a very favorable matchup. And then he's got Dallas, which also is a favorable matchup given how much they, they allow defensively. Mm-hmm. So you're starting Darnold. You're probably feeling pretty good about playing him the next two weeks. And then if he's still playing great, you're probably sticking with him. But exactly. And then if he has a couple of tough games in the middle, like to me, maybe like this is a, for a lot of Tannehill owners and a lot of other quarterback owners, like you drafted a guy and you feel beholden to the player because of where you picked him. Once you, yeah. once mm-hmm. you bite that bullet, once you, once you drop him and you release him for a guy that you just picked up in week three. Well, suddenly it feels a lot easier to go to the streaming option later in the year. So if Darnold has a bad game, you might not feel too bad about all right, well, let me drop him for Tyrod Taylor because Taylor's back and he's got (laughs) the rushing and he's playing, you know, who does he play mid season that might be pretty easy. Tyrod actually doesn't have that easy a schedule. It's a bad example, maybe. The Jets in week twelve. If he's healthy too, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Heineke, maybe, with the rushing that he gives you also. Like you might you might feel more open to doing that. When you have Darnold versus a guy like Tannehill, so mm. I I agree. If I if I pick the quarterback in between like round six through ten, and they're not playing well for me for two through two weeks, I I like your Darnold pick here. I would I would be very comfortable mm. picking him up.
0: And I, I think the way I lean is you know both teams don't have great defenses, but it's just a matter of who has the better weapons around him. And I yeah. mean you cannot argue with how great Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones are. But I mean you know Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson are maybe not just as up there, but they're close enough to where I think that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go off who I think is the better quarterback and schedule right now. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, did you have a quarterback maybe you wanted to bring up for this show?
1: I wanted to bring up Kirk Cousins. I always Ooh. seem to be all aboard the Kirk Cousins train for, for fantasy. <laughs> he has beat his ADP five of the last six seasons in fantasy football. And a lot, uh, most of the time he's doing it by a wide margin. Uh, and this year, he's already on track to doing that again because, I mean, it's just inevitable. Nobody really wants Kirk Cousins in the draft. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the least sexy pick you could possibly make, but he just gets the job done. His touchdown percentage has always been very high among quarterbacks in the league. I do not think, though, his attempts will stay as high as they have been so far this year. No. But I, <laughs> I don't have this in front of me. I should, but I think he's a top five quarterback through two weeks. I, have I think he's you're right. right. Yeah, it's um, got to be and part of that is 49 attempts in week 1 you got overtime too and then 32 attempts uh last week which is probably a bit more of the norm for Kirk Cousins but mm-hmm. he's got elite wide receivers he he's efficient throwing the ball deep um and if Minnesota's not that good and they are going to get into these more you know pass heavy uh type of game scripts throughout the year i i think Cousins is one of those guys kind of like Kind of like Darnold, like if you drafted a Ryan Tannehill and you're not feeling good about it and Kirk Cousins yeah. is sitting out there on free agency, uh, he would be a guy that I would I think if he hasn't owned already, I feel comfortable playing him week to week and maybe not even having to stream until uh, the midpoint of the season
0: um it's it's similar kind of to the darnold argument just because like the weapons there right like how can you and this is what we've been saying for so long with kirk cousins how can you not produce with you know dalvin cook you know adam thielen and stefan diggs now you know adam thielen and justin jefferson um you know i'm only two years back into his pro football reference page right now but he started this week or started this year with two consecutive weeks without a turnover i yeah. see that he's only done that twice in the last two years in his entire NFL career um so that's I mean like he's starting off hot he's been in plus matchups that that you know they're putting up points and that defense is giving up points that defense is hurt too Mm. so if you're looking for a quarterback like something I'm always looking for is just a quarterback tied to a bad defense who's going to be forced to throw the ball more um and if you're talking about Kirk Cousins being forced to throw the ball maybe that doesn't you know entice you too much to him but how he's played this year so far I can't see a reason not to
1: Ah uh, Cousins, by the way, is quarterback nine through two weeks. So further down than I thought. but I mean, he is within five points of fourth. So the difference between Lamar Jackson at fourth and Kirk Cousins at ninth is the difference of five fantasy points. so two and a half points per game right now, wow. which is which is literally nothing. And when mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, him beating his ADP, he's quarterback nine. He was drafted as quarterback eighteen. That was his <sighs> ADP uh, wow. once the regular season began. So, but that's just cousins. Like
0: that's just cousins. Nobody <laughs> wants him, and he's just going to beat his ADP every time. Mm-hmm. Every oh my god, yeah no, I might be rushing to pick up Kirk Cousins and drop Ryan Tannehill in my <laughs> in my right laundry. now. Yeah, literally right <laughs> no now. Waivers. But you know, I'll do it right after I get through this uh through this next one. Um, You know, I was excited to see Kenyon Drake how his role might change with Josh Jacobs out, and mm. the unfortunate thing is that it stayed exactly the Peyton same. Barber, and, so
1: Peyton- annoying.
0: I remember. Okay, so when Peyton Barber, he might be my least favorite running back in the entire NFL, (laughs) because like I just feel like he's the guy who like has no reason he's sticking around. Like, why would you not have just an undrafted free agent like Jarrett Patterson on your roster as opposed to Peyton Barber? Like, I know Patterson showed out in the in the regular in the preseason, and that's why he made the roster over Barber. But like, man, he just ah, enough about. I I could thirteen
1: carries for thirty two yards is the most Peyton Barber box score of all time. (laughs)
0: Um, but the thing is, it's unfortunately similar to what Josh Jacobs did in week one, too, mm-hmm. except you take away the touchdowns for Jacobs because yeah, Peyton Barber's never going to score another touchdown in his life. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Kenyon Drake, his usage in the two games was literally the same thing. In week one, six carries, 11 yards, five targets, five catches, 59 yards. Week two, seven carries. So we got one extra carry. Seven targets instead of five, but still came down with five catches for 46 yards. He was literally within like a point of his fantasy output from week one to week two, and right. he's averaging 1.5 yards a carry. I don't know how much of that is his fault because the Raiders' leading rusher in terms of yards per carry right now is Marcus Mariota. He's the only one over 3.4 yards per carry. Um, they, you know, I don't think they'll be facing defenses as talented as the Steelers and the Ravens all year, so maybe... The mm-hmm. yards per carry can go up a little bit, but even so like Drake's nothing more than a flex option, even without Jacobs in the lineup, you know, in standard, he's kind of unstartable and half PPR. He's sitting on your bench and in PPR, you can probably lock him into your, into your flex and feel pretty comfortable any given week, just because he's basically the, the Raiders wide receiver too right now. Um, but it's, I was, I was hoping to see more of a breakout from him this week. Didn't see it kind of disappointed.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, Drake, I always just saw as a compliment when he yeah, came in there. Exactly. I think I was kind of against the grain because I just thought he was going to kind of replace like the Jalen Rashard role. The mm-hmm. Raiders have always been annoying with that. Like for Jacobs owners, Jacobs was such a good pass catching running back at Alabama that I think we were just waiting and waiting and waiting for him to, them to use him that way. But they just kept trotting out Jalen Rashards and like, oh, they're trying Theo Riddick at 40 years old. Like they're just doing crap like oh that. And then they signed Kenyon Drake to that contract. And it's like, well, he's never going to get that. But that I didn't see it going, going further than that. I okay. thought Jacobs would still be kind of the first and second down back. He would get the goal line carries. But Kenyon Drake's going to slide in and eat up those targets that Jalen Richard was getting and the other running backs were getting. And I think that's kind of how it's going so far. Yeah. The surprising thing to me is absolutely, though, that when Jacobs isn't playing, Exactly, you're, you're not graduating Drake to that lead back role because mm-hmm. come on, how do you like, not know what Peyton Barber is at this point? It, but yeah. to me, there are certain coaches for fantasy you just yep. cannot trust. And John Gruden, he might Top be the below. list, yeah, eh, he might be for he's near it for me, he might be below Kyle Shanahan,
0: oh, uh, yeah. oh.
1: <laughs> but yeah. that but that might yeah. be it,
0: that might mm-hmm. be it, yeah, no. I'll- that's it's, it's tough. I, I didn't think that, that Drake was going to be some kind of breakout running back or anything. I just expected with Jacobs out of the lineup that maybe it might like maybe go like they passed the ball a ton against the Ravens. And, you know, Derek Carr, is not the best quarterback in the NFL, but he looked good for the most part, kind of, at least when he wasn't throwing more than five yards down the field. So I expected maybe they'd at least run the ball less and maybe have five or more targets to uh, Kenyon Drake, you know, just spread the ball out just in a different way. I mean, they got the win, so I'm not, you know, I can't tell them they did a bad job with that game. Um, but I, I, yeah, if you, I, I hate drafting Raiders just because John Gruden is the coach over there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but give us your next one. What's another takeaway you All have right. from week two?
1: Uh, let's stick with running backs. I'm going to stick with a backup running back, although he wears a number in the eighties. I'm going Cordero oh. Patterson and the Falcons backfield. Now, so there were a couple leagues where I got ahead of the eight ball here and I, I added Cordell L Patterson. There's one team that's like a complete extreme version of zero running back that I went in the uh, this season that I was starting quarter Patterson, probably the only person in the world that was starting him. Wow. And that was great because of the touchdowns. But I thought there were signs that he's going to be involved even before that. If you, that week one game against Philadelphia, mm-hmm. he got nine touches, but The snap count was a lot closer to Mike Davis than I think people thought going into the year. It was going to be the Mike Davis show. And Mike Davis did lead the team in touches, but Patterson was a part of that offense. And he really was the guy that came in in pass-catching situations. They kind of are using him in that, that James White, Giovanni Bernard, that Naheem Hines type of role. And mm-hmm. those guys can be effective. They're not going to win you championships because usually their ceilings are capped because they're basically reduced to just the the receiving game. Um, but I think Atlanta is showing their hand that they like Corderell Patterson and they used it. They gave him 14 or uh, 12 touches this past game, six targets. He got mm-hmm. five for 58 and a touchdown through the air. A couple of screen passes that were designed for him because they like his skill set for yards after the catch. Um, I think the Falcons like Corderell Patterson. I think he's going to be a big waiver wire addition this week. Uh, I wouldn't spend as much on him as we talked about with Rondell Moore earlier. I'm not spending (laughs) a third of my budget on him. But if you need running back help and you've you've had injuries, you've had a couple of Ravens guys maybe along the way, and you're looking for someone that, you know, he might not be someone who's going to win you a championship, but you just need a guy to get you through a couple of weeks. You need guys playable week to week. I think Patterson is that. And one more thing on that, yeah, it's not like Mike Davis is this superstar back that Atlanta will feel beholden to. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. what was both players' pedigree coming into the year? Mike Davis was a career backup who had great success in Carolina when there was a player injured. Cordero Patterson Mm -hmm. has basically been, since New England turned him into a running back a couple (laughs) years ago, he's been kind of a career backup running back, and when he gets in, he looks pretty good. And to me there's not enough difference between the two in terms of the investment and the pedigree that Atlanta if Patterson's the guy that's giving them more in space and in the receiving game that they wouldn't use him and so far they are using him. Yeah, no it seems like it's about
0: like a 60-40, 65-35 yeah. split at The Very worst. And that's almost similar to like the Nick Chubb cream hunt usage. And I'm not going to say this, this backfield is similar in talent, but it's similar in you can get work out of the RB two for at least your flex spot a few times. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the advanced receiving stats for the Falcons right now. And the QBR for when Matt Ryan is targeting Cordero Patterson over everybody else is about 40 points higher. So there's something to, you know, maybe a connection that they have or a quarter up Patterson is just getting out of the backfield. I mean, it took him a while to kind of find his footing in the NFL, but it seems like in this, you know, maybe like James White-esque style of of running back, he's, he's working. It's, it's working for him. Uh, I I, I like it. I like it a lot.
1: One more thing on that. Yeah. Look at the trend of older quarterbacks. Matt Ryan is 36, I think. Mm -hmm. as quarterbacks get older and they lose all the mobility that they had, they no longer have that ability to scramble or even just create, extend plays out of the pocket. So what did you see Mm -hmm. from Phillip rivers in the past couple of years? What did you see from drew Brees? What have you seen from Ben Roethlisberger when they feel pressure, they they're out is to quick throw it to the running back. It's not Mm -hmm. to scramble, right? It's, Oh, here comes pressure. I got to get the ball out. I got to get it to the running back. And that can lead to a big rate of dump-offs to the running back position. And I mm-hmm. think that is starting to happen a little bit with Matt Ryan. Maybe not to the level Philip Rivers was doing it at an insane. Oh my level. god. For like so, five yeah. years. Yeah. It's not it's <laughs> not going to get to that where the running back's getting a hundred targets. But I think you could see – I think you could see 60, 70 targets for a Falcons running back this year, and I would bet on Patterson being that guy right now.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, my my last thing, just because, like, I, I didn't look at really the, the Falcons running backs at all before this show, so I'm seeing all this now. He has – on 10 less attempts than Mike Davis, he has five first downs to Mike Davis's three, and he's also averaging .6 more yards after contact. Uh, yeah. So, that yeah, he, he might be – he could be the Falcons' rb one in a matter of like two or three weeks uh genuinely wouldn't be crazy Um, yeah i've seen crazier things happen though uh Sticking with running backs. I'll do my wide receivers one last. Um, you know, I was big on the Rojo train, and it seems like a oh, lot of no. my takes success. Exce- I That's know not good. <laughs> it's not good because Fournette is Tom Brady's RB1 right now, and it's really not even that close. He's he might be as reliable of an RB2 that you can find in fantasy right now. I mean, he's getting most of the running back touches in a Tom Brady offense and we all know how valuable that can be uh in just any kind of high high powered offense most of the groundwork most of the catches and rojo looks better in week two than he did in week one but his ball control issues are still making him a liability both for fantasy output and for just being on a real actual football field Fournette's actually looking fresh and explosive which is something that we only saw in the playoffs last year I didn't think it would carry over but he's been on the receiving end of a lot of screen passes too and for running backs you know, especially when you have guys like Evans and Godwin, Antonio Brown and Gronk out blocking for you on these screen passes. He's going to take one or two of those to the house at some point this year. Uh, you know, if you, if you drafted Leonard Fournette, you probably got him in the ninth to the twelfth round, maybe, maybe even later in some leagues, because some people were really sour on him. You know, that you got one hell of a fine. He's averaging the same amount of fantasy points per game as Kenyon Drake right now. So, you know, I wanted to ask, who would you be more comfortable starting? The way I see it, Ooh. playoff Lenny has the higher floor just because of his guaranteed run game usage, but Kenyon Drake has the higher ceiling.
1: I I like that. I like that way of looking at it. Um, and usually I'll go for the higher ceiling guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'd go Drake. I, I think I mentioned earlier coaches you just can't trust. I feel like Bruce Arians is one of them. Yeah. Uh, four, we got 11 targets for four net in two games. 15 touches last week, but they they don't really like running the ball in the red zone. It's all no. it's all Mike Evans or Rob Gronkowski. And mm-hmm. to me, I don't think I do not think that Fournette's receiving uh target share is reliable enough to warrant sure. playing him over Kenyon Drake. I think for me, I'm always looking for one of the two. I gotta have the touchdowns or I gotta have the receptions, and I mm. think that can kind of dry up for Leonard Fournette, where I think Drake, he's pretty solidified in, you know, he'll get a few targets and he'll be the pass catching back out of the backfield. I, I'm not confident he'll get the touchdowns. I think that's going to be Jacobs yeah, now uh, if he's healthy. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think I would go with Drake because I think there is, I think the the range of outcomes for Drake, the, the best case scenario is a lot higher uh, yeah. than it is for Leonard Fournette.
0: Yeah, especially PPR. If it's standard, I think it's 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 Lenny without question, and then half PPR, the, the, the waters start to muddy a little bit. Um, but we both have two more takeaways to give here, so I'll let you go first. Uh, what's your final takeaway from weeks one all through right. two?
1: I I think you know he was only started in roughly fifty percent of leagues this past week. It it is time to go all in on Marquise Brown. I mean, Ooh. he's done it more than enough. He has eighty receiving yards or a touchdown. In 10 consecutive games for the Baltimore Ravens. I think wow. we're all remembering how slow he started out of the gates last year when he was a little bit banged up going into the season. 10 games in a row, this guy has been – he has been producing. Last year from – oh, I just had it, and now I lost it. I had it from <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Was it weeks? I don't have it. He was like a he was like wide receiver 9 or 10 in the oh final like 8 or 9 games of last season. Because – and a lot of people thought, well – He's getting a lot of touchdowns, and that might be fluky because you don't think of Marquise Brown as this big touchdown getter. He's a speed demon. He's you know, mm. he's more of the, the yards after the catch guy. But it's happened enough now where maybe this is like Tyler Lockett in Seattle. Remember, for yeah. years, people were waiting for the touchdown regression to come for Tyler Lockett. It, it just d- didn't happen. Because Russell Wilson finds him deep and Russell Wilson looks for him in the red zone and Lockett just scores touchdowns. It doesn't matter what his body type is or the style receiver he is. The quarterback likes him down there. And in this situation, maybe part of it is Lamar Jackson just doesn't have anybody else he trusts in that area. But to me, the combination of Brown getting open in the red zone and he always sees seems to be the recipient on these broken plays by Lamar Jackson I think back to that was it Monday night or Thursday night remember that that Browns Ravens like the browns right yeah there? where he
0: was just like 10 yards from the nearest defender yeah. right yeah
1: Jackson runs out in the field after being in the locker room for a little bit. And then like, he just scrambles right to broken play. And oh, there's Marquise Brown. He's just wide open. There was another one
0: last night where Jackson was like literally yes. mid-air throwing the ball and there was no one near him. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Jump pass. Oh, there's Marquise Brown standing by himself. It just, it yeah. always seems to find, it always seems to be that way. He's got a big enough target share of the offense. He is their definitive number one wide receiver. And I think, I think the Ravens have done it a little bit, maybe not as much as people would have liked. There's a little bit of an uptick in in the the, the willingness to throw the football this season. So yeah. with Lamar Jackson as the quarterback and Marquise Brown as his number one target, and now that he's been this good for 10 games in a row, you if you have him, I think you have to be starting him. You have to find a way to work him into your lineup because I just think he's that good uh, as a fantasy option and wide receiver.
0: Yeah, we put up a tr- uh, Twitter poll uh, up at, t- at T-D-O- TWS Fantasy, and uh, we basically asked who will be the Ravens' wide receiver one by the end of the season. And uh, it was Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins. We had a few commenters saying Rashad Bateman, uh, but you know Hollywood Brown won that poll, sixty-four to thirty-six percent, and that okay. seems about right to me. Right now, Sammy Watkins is only a target behind him, but I don't think that really lasts. Did you? game last night because there were a lot of plays where Sammy just really hurt that team between the drops when he fell down on the on the on the Lamar pick six like there were I feel like he's going to be losing faith in in John Harbaugh very 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 quickly um so you know I I don't love him there does does Rashad Bateman coming back I believe after week three does that concern you at all for Hollywood's output
1: a little bit but not enough to where I would change anything about what I just said about him. Brown by the way, wide receiver 8 through this season so far just two weeks. But wow. Bateman to me because he's a rookie and because he missed so much of camp, um mm-hmm. I would think he's probably going to be a little bit slow getting out of the gates once he does return. So mm-hmm. maybe and this is this is worrisome, uh maybe by play- fantasy playoff time, uh, oh, Bateman yeah. is cutting into Brown's workload a little bit. But I, I for for now I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too worried about it.
0: Yeah, So in a few weeks, we could be talking about Marquise Brown as a sell-high candidate, possibly. Um, That would be interesting. And Sammy Watkins, he's the only player on the Ravens with a single drop, and he has two through two weeks. So that tells you. A lot. That tells you a lot about Sammy. Uh, My last group of players that I'm going to talk about here haven't talked about receivers much on my end. So I'm going to talk about three to make up for some lost time. And I'm going to talk about the Bengals receivers because I have been on record this entire offseason on the show saying that I think all three could be top 30 at the wide receiver position by the end of the year. I still think it can happen. They have some work to do for that, but it's going to be a long road to get there it's going to be inconsistent targets for him throughout. I mean, you know, Jamar Chase seemed like he earned more targets after how well he played in week one. But Tyler Boyd had the best matchup on the field in the slot against the Bears. I know in DFS last year, that's a position that I attacked way, way too much. And it worked out for me. There was always one of my receivers going against the Bears in the slot. Um, and, you know, the, the, the targets through the first two weeks for these receivers, Chase had seven in week, uh, week one, four in week two. Higgins had five, went up to ten in week two. And then Boyd went up from four to nine nine from week one to week two so you know it, 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 i don't think anyone should panic if you own these receivers you should not be dropping them obviously because they are three of you know the talent wise they're three of maybe the best 30 receivers in the nfl um but it's they're going to be playing matchups and that's the right thing to do from an nfl offense perspective this week it was tyler boyd last week it was jamar chase next week it could be T Higgins um so you know just maybe don't overreact just temper your expectations and understand that based on could be a week where you really can't afford to put Tyler Boyd in your flex right. um that that's that, that's really all about it is is that this group of receivers is going to be frustrating to own to say the very least
1: i i agree with that although higgins i think higgins I would be comfortable starting him week to week. I I had him coming into the year as the number one wide receiver in that group. And I think it's kind of shown that way so far. I think he has the right combination of, he kind of gets the target share and the, he has the reliability that Tyler Boyd does while also having some of the big playability that Jamar chase does. Maybe he's not Mm -hmm. as, you know, reliable for those inside routes as Boyd is, or he's not as dynamic down the field as chase. I think that's definitely, that's definitive, but Higgins to me is the right balance. That he's that year one to year two breakout is that year two breakout is usually where uh, that's happening with the wide receiver position over the past couple of years. It used to be where uh, the third season is where those guys would really break out, but really more recently it's been year two. And Higgins was already so good in year one. That I was very bullish on him for year two. I thought that Chase pushed his ADP way down, and I didn't think he'd have enough of an impact to keep Higgins from being a reliable wide receiver too. And he leads the team in targets through two weeks, but we also forget he missed, I think, four or five drives uh, for yeah. the Bengals against the Vikings because he had to go to the locker room for like an IV or something. Um, so that target, that target number would be even higher uh, had that not happened. So to me, I, I agree with you. They're going to be frustrating, and even Higgins. I, I love Higgins. I've got him in a couple leagues where I'm going to be starting him every week, yep. knowing there's going to be a, there's there might be a goose egg or two for him this season, just because of the the rest of the the weapons. And at the same time, Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, mm-hmm. he has he has been trying to run the football so a far lot. this season. He is yeah. force feeding Joe Mixon. <clears throat> And that's a little worrisome because even against Chicago yesterday, they Uh kind of, they fell ass backwards into a game script where they (laughs) had to throw the football. If Joe Burrow doesn't throw interceptions on three straight drives, they're probably winning that football game and they might be winning it comfortably enough to where Mixon would have had more than the 20 carries that he ended up having.
0: Yeah, and and you know what's frustrating about that is like sure you can force feed Joe Mixon make sure he gets his twenty plus touches, but maybe just take some of those carries away, make them in the air. Like you're behind, you're losing. They were losing by seventeen for most of the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know just to see, you know Joe Mixon when you get him in space, he is as good as almost anybody else in the NFL. To see him with twenty carries for sixty nine yards, three point five yards a carry, and just one target or two targets and one catch, that is that that is just kind of just piss poor management just of the offense completely, in my opinion, like that's something you have to get involved in the passing game and fantasy owners kind of depended on that. Right. When you draft him in the second or third round. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I, I I was bullish on him in the pre-draft process. Although funny enough, I don't really have him (laughs) anywhere. That's one. I got him. That to to, to go back to our first conversation, I don't know what's worse. Not having a guy that you loved in the pre-draft process and losing to him. (laughs) or losing to the guy that you hated
0: yeah oh my god oh (laughs) because it's usually that happens with the uh, the one guy in train wreck meerkat he he sniped me every single time that we came around he was at the one i was at the two spot in our draft and every single time i'd be like okay I have three players I want. Let's just hope two of them get to me. And he would always take two of them. But that's just the way it goes in fantasy. Uh, But that's going to do it for us here today. Thank you, Joe DiBiase, for being here for the first time. I know we'll be having you on probably weekly for the rest of the season. So uh, looking forward to doing that. Uh, Obviously, if anybody of you disagree with us, maybe you think the Bengals wide receiver corps is going to shape out a little differently. You think Cordero Patterson is a wide receiver and can't return value as a running back. (laughs) I don't agree with you. Joe certainly doesn't, but we want to hear your arguments. So tweet at us at TWS Fantasy on Twitter. But until Thursday when we're live for our week two Outlook show for myself, Joe, all of Trainwreck Fantasy Sports, good night now.